0: Welcome back, everybody. This is the Recourse Podcast, and I'm your host, TA. My friend Kayla Vec joined me over Zoom. She's the executive director of Love to Hope, which is a nonprofit ministry that is committed to raising awareness on human trafficking. It's a little bit more of a heavy topic today but I know you are going to enjoy this conversation and learn a lot. Kay did such a nice job of sharing her heart and what her family has been able to do. And so I don't want to take any more of your time. I want you to hear right from Kay. All right. So we always start the podcast with, um, the question, um, how do we know each other so that our listeners can listen or figure out kind of the connection we have between each other?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, Uh, I think through Amber. Yeah, Yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah. So you're related to her and she's my friend. So, yes, my lovely sister in law, who was just Mm -hmm. recently on the podcast, which was super fun. We talked about our faith and our families and being raised and kind of how we have had these similar paths because we were married three weeks apart and things like that. So but yeah, I remember um, I believe we met when she still lived in Minnesota. Um, But I always know every time we're at Amber's house. Your pictures on our fridge, and yeah. so your ministry with your family. And so I wanted to give our listeners an idea of that. Can you take me back kind of where that started? Because you guys were living in Minot, correct? Yeah. We,
1: Sean and I grew up, in, that's my husband. um We grew up in Minot. Our parents were both military. We didn't meet till college, though, even though we were in Minot most of the time. So, yeah. So we, were, our dads, were stationed in Minot at the Air Force base there, retired there, and uh, and just got plugged into a local church. That's where I met John and Amber. I actually, I didn't meet Amber. John first was a childhood friend of mine, and then when he got married, then I met his wife, who's amazing. Sure.
0: Were you working at that time? What were you doing in your life at that moment? Going to school. Yeah, I was
1: a. I grew, you know, did my growing up years seventh, really middle school through college. And um, and got my degree in English education, so I was in high school English teacher. I lasted one year, though. <laughs> hey, it's a good year. <laughs> you you made it fifteen. I made it one. <laughs> True. <laughs> and was like, nope.
0: <laughs> whoops no that's okay <laughs> i am a firm believer though that skill set as a teacher relates to so many other things Absolutely. so i am sure yeah. you are still using those pieces in what you're well, doing so
1: much so not only in um, just educating my own children i'm a homeschool mom for 12 years this is my first year not homeschooling so i i guess i'm retired now from that We'll see and then of course the education that comes with the anti-trafficking work that we do which is through prevention um education and awareness so
0: that's great so i want to get to that point but i need to know kind of tell me the timeline of how you and your husband got into full-time ministry
1: okay well let's see Life kind of, after we met in Minot, North Dakota, we got married, we moved to Las Vegas. Both of us were teachers down there. Like I said, I lasted one year, he lasted four. Um, had our first child and decided that we would get closer to family. Most of our family was living in Minnesota at the time. So we moved up to a uh, Northwest suburb of the of Minneapolis. And we're just kind of doing a pretty average, comfortable, life we've had more children um plugged into our local church pretty heavily but mostly just doing work homeschooling um, volunteering in places where we could uh always always wondering and um, making wanting to make sure that we were doing what the lord wanted us to do so sensitive to his calling but for the most part just trying to be good people living a normal life you know um it was in 2012 that I had a sleepless night. I got up to watch some television and the documentary was playing on human trafficking. And that was sort of the the night where everything changed for us ministry wise. So apart from, apart from, you know, doing ministry within our local church, this was something that really awakened in me sort of, I guess I, I call it the righteous anger of God which I believe that as a Christian, that when we have God's spirit in us, the Bible says God's throne is established on justice and righteousness. It it is the nature of who he is. And so when we have the spirit of God living in our lives, our lives become bent on what is just and right. And so when things come into our awareness that are unjust, (laughs) they're not fair, they're not right, it riles that righteous god inside of us to act. I believe that always righteous anger should produce action. And so that was one of those moments and you know I'm thankful that it it's a different for every person. I mean, there are so many things broken and unjust in the world today mm-hmm. and so that god of righteousness and justice is activated differently uh, d- in different people and that's a beautiful thing. About stepping into social injustices, you know whether you're stepping into homelessness or drug abuse or domestic violence or bullying or pornography or you know the list goes on and on. Um, racism, all the things that are wrong in the world today. When when that anger is sort of is ignited in us, then it should motivate us to make a difference. And for for me, it was truly that awareness that slavery still existed today and it looked um it you know wasn't in another country it wasn't you know some third world thing it was right in the united states and it was children and and people and children were being sold for sex and it was just so hard for me to wrap my brain around it but i couldn't i couldn't not do something now that i knew so that was really a pivotal moment in my life
0: had you had any other experiences before that? Like you said, like this was just a brand new uh, view of it. Like, we, I think we all kind of have this outside view of it or this kind of like peripheral, like, I think it's happening or I'm not sure right. how bad it is. Yeah, I mean,
1: I'd heard the phrases human trafficking, modern day slavery. I just kind of assumed it was rock quarries, you know, um, maybe some cyber- Um, being sold for sex and then the fact that it happened in the United States and it happened so young all of those things were just uh, you know if I backtrack a little bit you can always see how there's a thread woven through your life that uh, writes his story and begins to sort of tenderize your heart towards certain things and so um growing up we adopted three kids when i was 6 years old and they were trauma kids they were they came from an abusive home and so from a very young age i was able to see firsthand the effects of trauma um, and 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 understood the injustice like the abuse side that people could harm innocents you know yeah. Uh, yeah. children and that we my parents demonstrated that we we have an obligation to respond to that in some way to make change. So that was really established very young in my life and actually settled in this understanding of the effects of trauma. Um, so questions that come with survivors of trafficking, there's all, why didn't you, or you should have, or how come you return or why did you make these choices? But kind of understanding that trauma affects. You know, your rational thinking, your ability to make decisions, your ability to perceive reality, all those things. Yeah. So um, you can kind of see that thread woven in. So the response to the response to injustice was instilled in me young. Um, and and so this understanding that there's a wickedness in the world that people will abuse and 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 can be perverted and can 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 follow their own, you know sinful desires at the cost of human life you know that I, I all i understood that um working in las vegas for four years you know sure, um, sure seeing you know there's there's definitely been a lot of understanding of the brokenness and even the sexual depravity um of of the world today but that sort of 2012 thing it just it just hit it home in a way I guess I hadn't considered I hadn't I considered that there was you know there's child molestation there's sexual abuse there's rape you know I get all that but it, it hit this level of buying and selling of a human for sexual pleasure it was just almost more than I could really take in and didn't want to know my daughter was five years old at the time and all I could do was picture her what if that were her what if there was somebody who wanted to buy her for sexual gratification and that somebody would be willing to sell her it just was it just broke my heart it I I cried quite a bit I was extremely disturbed by that um and because I'm an input person then I had to do the research and so I had to really sort of fact check and is this documentary, you know, kind of blowing things out of proportion or is this, you know, and what I found was that it's just, is far worse um, than, than I think we really realize the, um, the systematic, you know, approach to it's definitely a business and um, unfortunately a successful one for so many people. And so I just, I started to research, I started to, Um, plug myself into organizations that were doing anti-trafficking work. I started to attend conferences. I started to read a lot of books, listen to survivor stories. Um, I took in information way faster than I was emotionally capable of receiving. And so one of the things that I talk to my audiences about is the importance of recognizing the reality of secondary trauma, we can receive stories that we're not prepared or equipped to handle emotionally. And that can actually have huge effects on us. Uh, For me, it really did send me into kind of a spiral of kind of depression, a little bit of paralysis. You did not want to be in a world where children were being raped and sold. I didn't want to raise my kids in a world like that, where I had to be afraid for or felt like I had to be afraid for you know, their future, the cultural grooming, all the things. So, um, and then you can't, sometimes you you can't unsee what you've seen or heard. And so those, it was very haunting, very traumatizing. Um, And so it took me a while uh, to really get out of that slump. I was in that for uh, several months, just felt dark. The world felt dark. Um, I felt sort of afraid. I felt like all men were perverts. You know, it was this whole twisted, which of course, none of those, things are entirely true. You know, there's pieces of truth in all of that. But, um, you know, now people ask me, how can you spend so much time educating on such a dark topic and learning about such a dark topic? It's because I spend a lot of time in the light and I spend a lot of time in God's word and the understanding of who he is and how he um, works to bring about justice and righteousness, how he's near to the brokenhearted, you know um how he's moving and so that really the bible says you know he lifted me out of the muck and mire and set my feet on higher ground and so that was really it was you know several months in this i don't want to know what i know i don't know what to do with what i know i don't like the world to i'm going to climb up on to the rock of what can i do what is my response and how can
0: the Lord enable me to take on what he's clearly given me a burden for? And so how did that... that, sorry to interrupt, how did that work then also with Sean, with you obviously had got um, downloaded into by God to get in and look and try and yeah. like kind of immerse yourself to learn. How was that for him? Was that a topic instantly like, yeah, I'm in with you and I want to see, or I want to learn as well. Or was that a, whoa, that's a little yeah. I wouldn't
1: say instantly. Um, So probably a year of me learning and, you know, he'd come home from work and I'd sort of dump my knowledge on him, which thank you so much for my long day at work. And now you're coming home and telling me (laughs) these horrible things, you know? Um, So I would say at least six months to a year of just kind of me feeling Passionate about this, learning about it, and educating him, um, and then eventually he just got fiery about the cause with me. I know he started to read some of the books I was reading, um, and attend some of the conferences or or nonprofits, you know, meetings and that we were going to. And um, he also has a he he has such a heart of compassion and empathy, and and so I think that. For him, it was, again, just how young and uh, what are we doing to stop this? And what is the message to, you know, the world today to make a difference? And so he he got on board with that. And then when he did, he was all in. So it, it was kind of a slower, you know, build up to, mm-hmm. yeah, I actually want to take this on with you. And we've both been gifted. You know, the other thing is we tell our audiences tune into that righteous anger it looks different for everybody there is something about the world and the injustices out there that 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 prick you in a way like they tick you off and so that's to motivate you to get involved and make a difference um and then and then it's super important too to recognize how uniquely gifted you've been you've got a different skill set a different way of approaching the problem and so we have to look at that. So for Sean and I, speaking and teaching is natural for us. Mm-hmm. It's it's part of our education. We both are teachers by degree, lots of public speaking by life experiences. And so it's a natural it was a natural segue into the fight. Well, we're gonna educate. Plus, it was education and awareness that ignited my, you know, passion. And so I felt like if more people would would understand it. Maybe it would ignite their passion and get them active to make change. So we're really passionate about the prevention side of things, and not the, re- you know, although we need, we need people that will do rescue, restoration, you know, all the things, um, safe houses and the programs and restorative processes. But for us, it really is how do we prevent more boys and girls from ever needing those resources in the first place. So, so you got to tune into sort of the holy discontent, righteous anger you've been given, and then you've got to tune into your, your natural sort of skill set, because there are so many different ways to approach the problems.
0: Yeah. Was there Mm -hmm. a pivotal moment or kind of a, uh, a time when you guys are both like, okay, but then we need to do this full time. Like we're, we're learning, we're doing, but we're still pulled in other directions with, you know, what, what was the Mm -hmm. apex moment that, or I don't know if that's the right word, but what was the pivotal moment that tipped the scales for you guys? I
1: think it was just, it was just the fact that we had started together to begin um, to teach and educate communities when we had the time. Mm. And so it felt like we never had the time to do it as often as we wanted to. So the more we educated communities, the more we wanted to increase our capacity to educate communities. And it felt like sort of, you know, our life responsibilities and current jobs were holding back us back from being able to do that at the level we wanted to and so we began to really get this sense of calling that was in about 2015 2016 somewhere around there so about four four years so of since I discovered that, you know, watch that documentary to, you know, plugging in, educating, attending conferences, we became trained ambassadors through shared hope international. So we went through a lot of their training processes to become speakers for them, spoke for them, spoke for stories foundation. Um, and so we wanted to just you know, do it more. Um, and then we began to feel this call into missions and we thought maybe we would go to a third world country. We, 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 we have these three kids and we wanted them to understand really their, their privilege, to be honest, the, the blessed life that they're living and that the world out there, it looks different. Um, it's hard to raise kids without in America today, I think without this sense of entitlement. And so we were fighting some of those things and um we were doing volunteer work with our children but we wanted we wanted to have more of this sense of immersion into um i guess what's what's harder out there like the reality for most people we wanted so we thought we would be in we would do missionary work we've been called to missions we would fight trafficking it'd be in a third world country and that's the route we felt pretty strongly we were to pursue and so we did um know kind of put our house up on the market. We went down to Florida and participated with Converges missionary assessment programming thing. Then when we were down there, um the more we felt like maybe we had heard something wrong, you know, like we we felt like we were sort of on the right track but the wrong direction kind of thing. Some there was a, a disconnect in what we thought we were supposed to be pursuing to to how we felt about what we were pursuing. And so it was kind of a complicated season for us. It was confusing. We felt a little discouraged, um, feeling like this was where we thought we should go, but doors seemed to be closing for international travel and um, for us personally. And so we just kind of came back from Florida and thought, well, now what? We knew we didn't want to live life normally anymore, but, but we didn't know what the new normal was supposed to look like. And so that went on for maybe four or five months. And then Sean attended a conference and, um, it was the global leadership summit. We love it. We go to it all the time. And Mm -hmm. this one was really just a chance for God to get Sean kind of alone and talk to him. And so he laid out for Sean, what I like to call Sean says a plan and I always tease him because he's not detail oriented so a plan for him is just a really a, a big idea you know so mm-hmm. he thinks he got downloaded a plan he just got downloaded a vision <laughs> <laughs> that needed a plan and um but but basically he came home from that conference and said i know what we're supposed to do we're going to sell our home we're going to sell everything in it we're going to buy a fifth wheel and we're going to travel the united states and we're going to talk to people about trafficking we're going to ta- stop at truck stops and churches and aren't you excited and i said there's no way.
0: (laughs) What was your reaction? Was it like a woo? It was like, no. No, My reaction was like midlife crisis. (laughs) It's better than a sports car, I guess.
1: Yeah. I just, I couldn't personally put my brain around. I understood like the call to missions Mm -hmm. in another country. You go, you live somewhere, you know, not that I don't appreciate, you know, domestic missionaries, but this whole caveat of traveling in a fifth wheel across the United States, I just thought, how are people not going to think that they're just funding like a perpetual vacation for our family? You know, how, how is anyone going to get on board with this idea? Um, but God was faithful to not let me sit in my, um, in my no on my no button too long in that sort of the next day, literally the next day. So he came home, he told me that woke me up to tell me that I said no, and then made him go to to bed because I don't wanna talk about it. And then the next morning, um, Sean is up. He's tinkering around the house because we're gonna put it on the market because we have a plan now, we have a calling, right? We're gonna Mm -hmm. sell the house. We're gonna buy the fifth wheel, we're hitting the road. And I am laying in my bed sort of rebellious and resigned because I had wrestled with God that whole evening. I got no sleep, wrestled with the Lord knowing that he must be in this call because it's so crazy. And I will tell you, God is always in the crazy. He's, he's always in what really doesn't make sense. On paper, it doesn't work out. Logistically, it's confusing because that's where he gets the glory, where he gets to say, yeah, it doesn't, There's, there really is no reason that this should work, but it's going to because I'm in it. And so I also knew that God was in it because my husband was willing to leave his career, all the stability involved in that, um with retirement and health insurance and all the things he was going to say no to that um or goodbye to that and and yes to this and then it was camping which sean doesn't even like to do so (laughs) all of those things were telling me god has definitely placed this call on him and i would be a fool to say no to that and so laying in bed kind of rebellious and resigned feeling like yeah we're going to do this i don't really want to um and then though I just felt the Lord just say, "Can we just reason this together? Let's just reason this together." And my mind began to flood with ideas of how this could work if it actually had a plan and wasn't just a big idea. And so I met Sean on the deck that morning with a cup with a cup of coffee and just said, "All right, let's talk this out." That's when we say love to hope was officially born. Okay. That's when we say this is when we we had committed, hadn't been named yet. The name came, but later my seven-year-old. He's now 13, but my seven-year-old at the time named the, the ministry. We had been talking to our kids about missions because we had felt that call to a third world country. So we've been preparing our kids for something different, a new way of living, um, that we felt God was moving our family um, to something new and and different and maybe hard. Um, so they they were prepared. So then when we began to explain this sort of road tour in the United States, our little guy, Caden, he was seven, he says, well, if I were gonna name a ministry, I'd call it Love to Hope. And uh, and his older siblings were like, does that even mean, that's stupid, you know, like, <laughs> like all good siblings do. Of course. <laughs> and, um, but Sean and I thought, wow, that there's probably really some wheels behind that. And so the gist of it comes, you know, if you're gonna love people well, the way that jesus loves people you'll bring them to hope yeah we believe that hope is found in christ that true rescue restoration redemption is found in jesus and when you have that hope uh, found in christ then you love well and so if you were to look at our logo you would see love to hope in the circle and kind of behind it because it is you love well to hope and when you have hope you love well and it goes round and round like that so that's kind of where that came from and where it was formed. Well, after that debt conversation, it was about eight months later that we launched on the road. So, we began to pitch the idea first to family and friends who didn't say that's ridiculous, <laughs> and then, um, and then we began to raise the support, just like any other missionary. And about you know, typically, if a missionary is going to launch into the field, it'll take a good eighteen months to so two years to become fully funded. We launched eight months later, about 80% funded. We um, we just figured God would bring in the other 20% on the road, and we just <laughs> hit the road. And he did. He, he always is over and above more than we can ask or imagine. And so, um, yeah, by July of 2017, then we had sold our five-bedroom house in Minneapolis, everything in it, um, and bought the fifth wheel and hit the road
0: yeah that's crazy did your kids have any reservations because you said you had kind of prepped them for them where they were like okay where you know or did you have any reservations as a mom what does that look like schooling I mean there's still so many things you have to juggle. To yes. make all of that happen. Mm-hmm. yeah for sure at first the kids were excited and
1: on board um, what an adventure, you know, and um, you can paint it sort of, I guess, wax it rosy, I guess, you know, a little bit as a mom. So you're trying to find the highlights. And honestly, that is actually how we approach um, life as the Levesque family. We uh, we really do tell our kids, you're going to have as much fun as you choose to in just about anything that you, you know, that you put yourself in. It really is about what you choose to see. You can focus on what you don't have or on what you do. And the choice is yours and it's going to affect your experience. So, um, so we did try to, you know, paint the adventure side of it. Um, but reality settles in when you start saying goodbye to family and friends, when you start selling all your toys and science collections and Lego sets. And when you, you know, are trying to pack everything that you want to keep in a little teeny space. And when you're leaving your youth group and your sports teams and your drama clubs, and, you know, then maybe it, it seems reality sets in and maybe it seems a little bit more scary and a little bit more sad. And so we definitely all wrestled with that and the kids too. Um, God definitely gave us the ability to kind of live out those that motto of you're gonna have as much fun as you choose to and gave us really the most tenacious um, sort of effervescent just extroverted kind of children that I think their their personality fit this well so um you know I I think our oldest was 13 when we hit the road I mean what an age right we celebrated his 13th birthday right before we left and so he of all had the biggest I think sacrifice and the biggest understanding of what was going on um, and what that meant for sort of his new his teen years you know and um, but I think of myself even at that age and wonder if I was in a community for a month if I would have been brave enough to show up at the youth group and just be like hey it's me I'm here for four weeks let's get to know each other and I I honestly think even with my personality and my love of humans that I don't know that I would I don't know that I I don't know that I would have I think I would have had more of a I bother with that, you know, I'm just going to leave him. in a month. But Mm -hmm. that was not Connor. And because of that, he has friends all over the country. And he has learned to step into situations that he doesn't know anybody, or maybe he doesn't fully understand, and just be present and just live well in that moment. And all of our kids had to learn that. And so that alone was a gift uh, of, of being on the road.
0: How long were you on the road in total?
1: uh, two years, we traveled two years. Um, we did about 24 states. When we first began to strategize the road tour, we thought we'd stay a couple weeks in each at each stop, and realized right away that that was highly impractical. Um, You just can't barely get yourself uh, networked in the community and set up any kind of speaking engagements within and then and then present them within such a short short time frame so then we looked at four weeks um and that even that was when you think about it if you've ever moved to a new community you think four weeks is nothing to start getting to know people find a church establish yourself a little bit you know get make some friends whatever Um, that's just nothing so it takes some people months and months to even be able to do that um but 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 God, right? That's the thing. He's the one that is the ultimate networker and connector. And so we would enter a community um, having done just a little bit of prep work. Usually we would reach out to Rotary clubs, Lions clubs, the civic groups of a community. They're highly networked they're passionate about their community and bettering their community. And so they were a good start for us and they're always looking for speakers. (laughs) So for us, it was, this is us. We'll come, we'll educate your group. And so they would book us and then God would take it from there. Usually somebody in that audience would connect us to a school or to a church or to, you know, another civic group or, um, you know, just any community outreach. And so it would, it would just, Happened so fast that we would be able to book um, these awareness presentations, and then the audience members would then the only thing we ever really ask our audience members is if you think this information is important, can you connect us with an audience while we're here? And so, normally, by the time we were getting ready to transition to our next state, we were turning down speaking engagements because our calendar was full. So that is amazing. Um, it was it was a busy work. It was beautiful work. Um, but yeah, we did about two years on the road. That's what we had committed to when we left. And Bill, I think the reason we came off the road, um, we probably would have gone longer, but to respect our oldest son and his life stage now moving into being almost sixteen, we knew it was time to get him back into sports, get his license. You know all the things yeah. that are important for him. Um, and so to respect and honor the commitment that we made for him, um, we came off the road. I think otherwise we probably would have continued a little bit longer. Sure. But, but again, if you think about the timing, we came off the road and then COVID hit. So had we stayed on the road anyway, it would have decimated our ministry anyway. So
0: God knew the timing. Oh, for sure. I was going to ask you before we leave this topic, because I'm just fascinated by it too. Can you give us a highlight of... Uh, or example of something that maybe you really enjoyed or that was really good that just God really worked through while you were out on the road or an example of a great community story that happened while you were there. Oh, man.
1: <clears throat> there are just so many. Um, there are so many God moments. There are so many things. How to narrow it down. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> It, you know, when you think about it from, there's the different perspectives and lenses to look at it from a parenting homeschooling mom perspective. I mean, it was phenomenal to travel America and to be able to bring sort of history and, and, and local landmarks and everything sort of to life, um, to be able to the, the just sort of the field trip experiences and, and the things that God did for my kids, um, to connect them to, I mean, they went on, youth group retreats because a church just took them under their wing and said, hey, we're going to go to camp this week. Do you want to come? And our kids would go. Or um, So we, our very first stop uh, is probably one of all of our favorite stories because it was this like, oh my goodness, we did it. We're here. We're at our very first stop. And so we had had a family, some close friends of ours come we were kind of in the chicago area Indiana yeah. um and we had them come they did a little vacation with us and then they left they left on a sunday and i remember feeling like well this is it now we said our final goodbye like all of our ties to what's familiar we're now in this new community and so and i i, I was crying because i just thought oh my gosh this, what did we do this is just so much um And so it was sunday so we were gonna go to church so we found this little church and it was this tiny (laughs) tiny church we walk in um and and we sat down and behind us was this sweet couple and after church they kind of who are you you know the little introductions and we explained this is us we're we're now traveling we're bringing awareness to human trafficking all the things they say Like Chipotle, we have to know that Chipotle is like a family favorite place to eat, and so our kids were like, Yes, and so they like, Let's go out to lunch after church. So we went out, um, they treated us to Chipotle, they just met us, um, treated us to Chipotle, got to know them, got to know our story, and then they say, Hey, um, so we have this beach house, you know, and we thought maybe you guys would want to come spend some time in it. You know, while you're here, would you like that? So, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be super fun. So we spent an afternoon. They're like, "Why don't you come over? It's a beautiful day. Come over. We, you, we've got all the toys, the Maui mat, the paddle boards, all these things." Um, and then come over. So we did that. And then that afternoon, they we're heading out on a trip. We're gonna pack, but you guys just enjoy the beach. So we enjoyed the beach as a family. They were in their house packing for a trip, and then they came out and said, "We were talking." And we think maybe you should just house it for us while we're on our trip. We had known these people like three hours. (laughs) They gave us the keys to their beach house. And our family was, and our kids especially, were like, "Well, why would they do that? And and that was really our opportunity to remind them, one, of just the love of God and the, the beauty that he has in seeing, you know, so this, the little tender hearts of our children, the, the sort of like concerned hearts of the parents and, and just be able to say, I've got this. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to blow your mind. And, um, it was also really humbling for us too to just recognize, um, as how well we love you know, the newcomers in our churches or the new people that we meet, do we take the time to get to know their stories? Do we offer so generously of ourselves? And so it was the most beautiful start to our road tour. And I can tell you story after story after story of how God showed up in miraculous ways, how he provided for us, um, protected us, uh, and then how he just opened the doors for us to speak when it comes to sort of ministry sort of things. So that's just like that's how God just provides for the family, how he loves well, how he uses his people and, and the generosity of, of his family and of of who God is and how he shows his love and generosity through others is super humbling. That's really sure. loving well, right? Yeah. You know? Right. But then, you know, you could go on and on about the ministry work, the opportunities to educate so many people that would come up to us after our presentations and say, hey, I've experienced such and such, or what do I do about so and so? Um, the opportunities for parents to really be educated on their role in the fight and how do you protect your own homes and what you do to step into the lives of vulnerable people around you? So um, seeing churches, we came and educated uh, a church in, Wyoming and a year later they put on a massive anti-trafficking awareness conference for their whole community. And that was as a result from our little, you know, kind of talking to them and their church when we were there. So you can see the ripple effect. Our goal was always to ignite little fires sure. in the community and hope that they would then um kind of on, on board within their own community. So part of our work was collaborating with the local nonprofits in each place. Uh, it was, It's still a huge part of who we are. Now we're stationary. We work with Youth for Christ uh, in, in Minnesota, but um, a huge part of what we do is collaborating with, with area local nonprofits that can work together to make a change. So we would go, we would not only just bring awareness, but we would network with whatever nonprofits were in the area really offering to be for them an advocate and a spokesperson for for them so when we got sort of that righteous anger and holy discontent riled up in our audiences well we said what what is the point of you know bringing if we bring awareness without active pathways of engagement we're bringing just bad news there's that's all we're doing we're just going to leave you depressed and discouraged about the world around you but if we can tell you this is happening this is the reality and here's what you can do Mm -hmm. and here's local places that are making a difference and they need your hearts and your hands and your time and your tithe, you know, um, then that that's powerful partnership and prevention work. And so that was a beautiful part of the ministry too to to listen to people's nonprofits origin stories and the work they're doing in their communities and really partner with them and and point audience members to them.
0: Yeah. It's like a mirroring of your own story though, too, because it's the same thing. You had learned all that information and then you could go into that dark place. So you're allowing people to absorb that, but then giving them the hope on the other side of that, Of, but here's ways that you can help and move forward. And so, and that's so important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some ways, so people who are listening, um, what is the best thing you would say, like, um, check out this website, connect with this group. What are, what are some things people can do even listening to this to start thinking through ways that they can proactively. And I really like that it's proactive rather than reactive. Yeah. Proactively help and support.
1: Yeah. Well, when it comes to websites, not to, uh, self-promote, but, um, our website, lovetohope.com is, well, I like to, to refer to it almost like a pointer website, we've done a lot of work on our resource page to connect people to um, organizations that are are doing the fight well. Um, and sure, so we sure. have kind of that's going to be a great stop for you to find um, organizations in your area, to find uh, documentaries, book recommendations, websites of uh, ways to get involved or to learn more how to become an ambassador. Um, so I would totally recommend going to our website to find where we recommend that you conserve. serve. So um, it's a great stop. It took a, a good year to develop the resource page. Uh, so I think that it would be a, a great place for people to start. It's a really important that you get educated before you start working in really in any social injustice in any area where people have been hurt where they're recovering from trauma where their vulnerable vulnerabilities being exploited when we step into those worlds uneducated we can do a lot of damage um, i think some of the worst words that we can use are if i were you uh, because mm-hmm. we're not uh, and so we come in sort of with our healthy mindset maybe our Background doesn't have any of these experiences, and we're trying to step into people's stories, not having lived them, and offering advice and help. It can be really damaging. So it's important that we're educated. It's important that we don't have a savior complex. Um, we're not there to to do the saving work, um, both physically or spiritually. It's not our job. So I think it's coming in with education, with humility, with um, teachability, because there's so much to learn from people that we're trying to help um you know and so i think that that's that's really important uh, perspectives when you're when you're gonna approach a subject like like this or any other to be honest
0: yeah mm-hmm. i love that i will link that into the show notes and i just love that you have a great curated page that is a you know one-stop shop that people can then go out from because for some people maybe a documentary is a great starting point for some people or some people who already feel very passionate about it. Maybe there are a higher level of resources that they're ready to take to the next piece.
1: Yeah. We're just a, I mean, I would say there's a million organizations out there doing things way better than we are educating better, are more educated, you know, all the things, but we, we worked really hard to generate that list and point those researchers, those input gatherers, people like me who are like, I'm um, going to fact check some of this. You know, yeah. this is the is great place to stop. It's not the be all end all. It, we don't have every organization listed. We could never, but um it's definitely, I think, a great starting point. I think it's a great starting point for parents who are just now, you know, they're learning about trafficking, they're understanding the cultural grooming, and they're recognizing that it happens in every community, and now they don't know what to do. And we're not supposed to be living in fear but we do need to be wise, you know? Mm, Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. And so it's important that we recognize our role as parents to um, prepare our kids, to educate our kids on topics like like these. Um, And so we have a good parent resource page going there too. And I'm continuing to flesh that one out. It's not exactly where I'd like it to be, but it's also a good stop for protecting your home, having hard conversations with your kids, recognizing the signs of cultural grooming, all those
0: yeah. things. I just love that quote too. I'm going to go back to that, like not being in fear, but being wise. I think we can develop a spirit of fear because there is so much as parents and things that we take on, but to be wise of something and to still trust that God is in control and we do what we can to prepare our kids the best to be, you know, raise yeah. a kid up in the way of the Lord. And I think that's the best. So I really appreciate you saying that. Um, tell me a little bit. Ignorance
1: is not, ignorance is not safe. It's not, you're not keeping your kids safe by making them not know what's happening around them. And I think that for sure is the hardest thing for parents because we don't, well, I don't want to rob their innocence. I don't want to, I don't want them to be afraid. I don't want, if I just, if I keep them away from bad places and bad people and bad movies and bad websites then maybe they'll never you know need to know these things but that actually is just not true Mm. um and we don't even have time to (laughs) to even go into the online grooming and the what's taking place online and the susceptibility and the fact that you know you can lock your home up at like four knocks you really could but um satan is (laughs) satan is you know the the, the father of lies and deceptive and he finds a way he is on the prowl um looking for hearts to devour and those include our children and so uh, we have to we have to educate them and we have to have hard conversations with them and we have to um, be careful that in our effort to protect them we're not actually making them um i guess more vulnerable
0: yeah, very, very true. Um, tell me about what's coming up. So you are now stationary. You said you're working with Youth for Christ. Tell me mm-hmm. what that looks like.
1: Well, it's a beautiful thing. You know, the synergy of Youth for Christ and our passion to do prevention work with anti-trafficking is so great. It was... Um, we weren't real sure when we were coming off the road exactly what our next steps would be. We knew that we wanted to stay in ministry. We knew that we wanted to always stay fighting trafficking. Um, and we wanted to go someplace warm. Well, <laughs> well two out of two out of three is not bad. I was like,
0: eh, not so sure about Minnesota being warm. <laughs> <Yeah. but
1: laughs> we gotta, we were pursuing several different, you know, um options from being executive directors. Um for an anti-trafficking organization in the cities, to owning land, we, we've talked about owning our own campground and kind of making the back 40 a place for phase three survivors, aged out foster youth, micro housing, tiny home living, and that's still sort of a, a long pipe dream of ours. But, mm. um, and then we got a call from someone who had been following our story, uh, nominated Sean for the executive director position for Youth for Christ in Wilmer, Minnesota. Um, so the national guy called Sean and said, would you, you you know, you've been nominated, you've been recommended, would you consider applying? But we had to look up where Wilma was. I mean, we, <laughs> I don't know. And um, at first it didn't seem like the right yes. It just felt like, I'm not sure that that's exactly what we want to do, you know, but the more we thought about it, the more it just made sense. Because if you want to stop trafficking, you've got to show up in the lives of vulnerable teenagers. You got to show up you've got to build relationship. You've got to show them a different way, healthy relationships. You've got to be a safe place for them to tell their story. You know, all the things you've got to, you've got to be present in the lives of vulnerability, of vulnerable youth. And Youth for Christ does that. Like no ministry, I really know their heart to build relationship and to go after the the lost teens, the vulnerable teens, the, you know, the ones that are, close to dropping out or, you know, um, in juvenile detention or just, you know, all the things Mm -hmm. traffickers are so good about exploiting vulnerabilities that, and what are the number one, the number one need of all humans is to be loved. It's to be known. It's to be seen. It's to matter to somebody. And so we've got to step into the lives of, of a step into that need with authentic, love. Well, traffickers will step into it to with for the purpose of exploiting it, this pseudo-love, this pseudo-relationship. I'm going to be the family you need, the safe place that you need, the father figure you need, the whatever it is. Um, and so how much more do we need to step into those vulnerabilities with with the truth of God's love for them and authentic hope and and love. And so that's what Youth for Christ does well. So we said yes and we came to Wilmer um, in the fall of 2019. And then, and then COVID, right? So we came to this new community by the spring of 2020, the whole world was shutting down. Um, But God's been faithful to help us establish a presence here and continue with the work that he's doing to love teens, um, to the hope of Christ. Wasn't, it was about six months to a year that Sean asked me to step in and run uh, a ministry through Youth for Christ called Parent Life. And that works all, all ministries of youth for Christ underneath this large banner of youth for Christ are different ministries that work with a certain small group of people. Um, It might be um, juvenile justice mission where they're working with people that are, that are locked up in juvie, or it might be campus life where they're working with students on campus, or there's a whole bunch of different ministries, but parent life is the one that works with pregnant and parenting teenagers and so uh, for me that was one of my easier yeses i tend to be kind of hit my no button first as i showed you uh, previously but um, that was an easier yes when we traveled we told the story of rebecca bender uh, and we talked about the grooming process and the exploitation of vulnerabilities and rebecca happened to be a pregnant teenager when her trafficker found her and uh and exploited that vulnerability of that desire to have a family and uh, to to provide that that home life that she wanted for her soon-to-be daughter and so we told that story over and over and over again and then when so sean asked me to to start parent life it was kind of my opportunity to work with the rebecca benders of wilmer you know it was just such a a perfect segue to step into that vulnerability that unique vulnerability of of um, now i'm a teenager and now i'm a mom and um how do we do that so it's been beautiful i love it so much it's messy (laughs) their lives the stories are messy and but it is just such an opportunity to live out practically the message that we give so often is that you got to show up. You got to love. Well, you got to love people to hope. I love that.
0: Um, what advice do you have or what is in closing kind of some of the ways that you would encourage people, if someone's looking at going into ministry, maybe going into missionary work or, or being able to even just, um, on the side support, what are some of the best ways they can do that advice you have?
1: Yeah. I mean, definitely you're going to want to tune into that righteous anger that holy discontent you're going to want to tune into your unique skill set we can have mission envy way too often where we want the platform of somebody else or we want the we want to be able to do what somebody else is doing but god has a unique place for each of us to serve and and that's going to look different so i always say my some of my favorite verses um don't despise the day of small beginnings the Lord rejoices to see the plumb line laid. And so I think it's really important as you're considering your next step in ministry that you are okay with small things and small spaces and not literally like the travel trailer, but maybe (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) your, your platform might be small. You might work with just a few people. You might have just a few converts or whatever it is that you're going for, but don't despise the day of small beginnings because the plumb line's been laid and man, makes plans but the lord determines the steps and so we just have to walk it out um you know sort of daily asking what the next thing is for us and when you have sort of that inkling like maybe i should be <clears throat> using my gifts of speaking to bring awareness then then you start with an already established ministry that you can learn from and grow from and you can come in as an intern or an apprentice or just an advocate a volunteer and then you begin to be learn to learn and be teachable until God makes the next step um, available to you. and And that really what it is when you're stepping into really anything He asks for you, you only get a, a vision of a step or two. That's what that's how God works because he's the good shepherd. And so you don't usually have the full plan, you know, and if you think you do, you're gonna you're probably wrong. (laughs) So uh, most of the time. (laughs) So so you just do the next step, the next thing in front of you. And that might be as small as, you know, I'm just gonna mentor this one teen girl because she needs some resource in her life that's safe and and then God pretty soon has developed a ministry of you know mentoring and connections with you you don't know where he's going to take it but if you're not obedient to the small things you will never hit a big thing you just won't um because that's how god that's how god shows um you know if you're if you're faithful with the little then you're given more and so yeah. he honors that word and that promise so
0: I love that. I think that's very encouraging. Um, was there anything that I didn't ask about that you wanted to share with listeners that you think is important that we hear? I feel bad that I really enjoyed the conversation. So I feel like I didn't come back to a lot of questions. So I wanted to give you an oh, opportunity. No, it's fine. anything. Yeah, uh, no, I, I love this conversation.
1: I love to talk mm-hmm. about um, just how God calls and then how he yeah. equips and how he works, you know, to demonstrate that he's the one that's in control of of what you're doing with the networking with the connecting um and then just even with the people that he puts in front of you so if you have one person that we always said we don't care if we're doing an awareness uh conversation an education conversation with one person across the coffee table or a congregation or audience of a thousand because they're appointed they're appointed interactions and i'd rather talk to five people that will do something, then 500 that will listen and walk away. And so it really is just important for us to to do the next thing that's in front of us and to um, take the knowledge that we've been given and ask, Lord, what am I supposed to do now that I know? And and that's kind of the key is don't just sit on on the education that you've been entrusted with, but find out how you're supposed to apply it, you know, reteach it, (laughs) <laughs> get involved yeah. with it, that sort of thing. So there is so much to learn about trafficking there. It's nuanced. It's multifaceted. It's very dark. It is a business. Um, it's systematic. And so you, you should get educated on the grooming processes. And we didn't really go into any of that, but again, stop it. in my website, um, you know, peruse the, peruse the resource page, have me back and we'll do an exclusive on just the grooming process yeah. if you want. But um, yeah, it's definitely something to learn about and then know what your place is in, in making a difference.
0: Yeah, I would love to have you back. I would love to continue to hear how God continues to use, especially now that life has kind of gone back to normal post COVID, if we're really post COVID, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but that you guys um, will have somewhat of a normal year this year and hopefully um, get to hear big stories of how God is using you in this new role being you know where you are so yeah really thanks. appreciate you taking the time to come and share thanks and for having me i just loved the positive vibe and also just that it there is hope and i think i think you guys named your ministry well love to hope is a great <laughs> a great <laughs> overarching theme for all of this so thank you thank you all right thank you again so much to Kay for being willing to share her family's journey. Again, please, please, please check out the show notes. There is so much good information in there when you click some of those links that Kay is sharing with us. And so I hope that you can help support in your communities. And I hope more importantly, you just become more aware of what's happening around us. Tune in next week. I'll have another great conversation and I hope you are all doing well. Thanks for listening.